Hello, and welcome to the Zondits Energy Podlet. I'm Gita. And I'm Elihu. And thanks for joining us for Season 1. Hey, Elihu. How's it going? Good, Gita. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm feeling thirsty, so I have my giant water bottle with me. Ah, an algene. An algene. They're very useful for staying hydrated, and plus I don't have to buy a plastic water bottle and do something with that water bottle after I'm finished drinking my water. Yeah. You have that crinkly sound you have to carry around everywhere, too. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a pain. But, yeah. you know, in, in a pinch, if I, say, forget my giant water bottle or am somewhere where uh, I don't have access to it, you know, see a lot of people getting plastic water bottles everywhere and I, I mean I know we recycle them here in our office and many people do and certainly the the city of New York has curbside recycling pickup which is great but got to thinking what what happens to all that stuff when we send it to the recyclers definitely yeah uh, I mean I think right there's been a lot of talk in the news these days about where our site recycling is even going, whether it's actually going to recyclers or uh, whether there's even a market for recycling now and what portion of our plastics that we recycle can really be used. Um, it's really uh, a lot of hot topic. And I think, also think it's, it's really sensitive to the area you're located in too. You know, some cities are, have good recycling facilities nearby, uh, good markets that can take the plastic after it's been sorted. And some cities don't, or it's too expensive to to put those resources into. So it's really dependent on where you are, too. It's not really just like a one, you know, it's one of those gray areas. Yeah, and I noticed that some municipalities, you can dump everything into the recycling bin, paper, plastic. Yeah, and single stream. Single stream. Um, in, in New York, I, I don't think we have that, uh, or at least they encourage us to put our paper separately from our plastic. Um, and I know we have a big recycling facility, but I, I, like you, have heard in the news recently that if there isn't a market for the material to be used after it's been recycled, then it might be actually cheaper to just dump it in the landfill, which is maybe something that we want to avoid, too. Okay, so we've all had that thing where I feel like where we, we're putting recycling diligently aside into a plastics bin, into a paper bin all week. And then we wheel it out to the curbside, or in my case, bring it down a bunch of stairs. And you kind of have that sinking feeling like, is this stupid? (laughs) Is this for real? (laughs) Is this for real? Is any of this going to matter? Like, is this going to make its way to some sort of recycled product that will then divert some, you know, oil that then would not be then made into plastic? Is this helpful? Is it helpful? Right? Um, And, uh... I think recent news coverage with has shown that uh, given that China isn't accepting a lot of our waste anymore, our plastic waste, that uh, the answer to that question is sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes. it's helpful. Which is a little shocking because uh, according to an article that I was reading recently that we've got 9.2 billion tons of plastic out there in the world uh, and 6.9 billion at least of that uh, is waste. It's incredible. And it's like, it's, the numbers are so big that it's kind of hard to wrap your head around them. Um, I think also there's that this sense for a long time that the U.S. has been just very poor at recycling. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 
pretty big and spread out and relative to European cities, which are much more dense and also have more focus on recycling and, and um, conservation in general, that, um, you know, I think Americans, I think it's uh, something like we're below 34%. So, okay. So in, in New York City, this big waste problem is particularly apparent to anyone who's ever visited the city, uh, or we put our waste directly onto the street and it's visible for sometimes days. Um, gross. Yeah, really gross and sometimes very smelly. Mm-hmm. But there is an organization that just put out a, um, a cool challenge called the New York City Curb to Market Challenge. And they offered a half million dollars to firms that could come up with um, a great idea, a great plan for turning plastic waste or any kind of waste product that would just end up in the landfill or worse um, into a marketable product. And they, in fact, actually chose two winners this year. You talked to one of them, right? I did, yeah. I talked to um, the CEO of a company called Arclight, and his name is Sebastian Saju. So, Elihu, what does uh, Arclight do? Arclight takes really thin film plastic, like from candy wrappers or um, plastic that protects food from, from going bad, um, and the kind, just the kind of plastics that we can't really do anything with traditionally, and they make a couple of different products from that. One is a like a gravel type, um, a lightweight gravel that can go under sod, and it'll um, you know support it helps fields drain faster. Um, right now, we just use stone for that, so it prevents you know having to go to buying uh, stone from quarries. And then the other um, or one of its other um, materials that it makes is a a lightweight concrete um, and they mix these sort of pellets of plastic in with concrete and it can be used for non you know load-bearing applications of concrete it's a really interesting company um, here let's hear a little bit about how he describes it and just to note our first interviewee was uh, we were speaking to from overseas so the sound quality isn't excellent but I assure you we will be working on that in the future yeah, sure. So what we do is we take the benefits of plastic polymers as being light, uh, very good insulators, long-lasting, um, inert. So that, that, that are, those are all um, very good, very good, um, very good things about plastics that turn against us if we don't uh, treat the plastics carefully after discarding it. So the problem is not about plastic, but what we do with plastics once we don't need them anymore. So what we do is we take those all those benefits and we create a product, this, this arc-like gravel, it's a light gravel, that has all those um, highlights, like being light, durable, inert. Um, and when we use this gravel, for example, to create light concrete, uh, this means that, for example, when, when you raise a building, you have a structural part of the building, and and then you have the non-structural part. So the structural is made with the traditional construction system of steel and, and concrete, but the non-structural, um, it doesn't require strength. So instead of filling it with a very heavy concrete that requires more steel and more cement to hold up a, a uh, um, a, a bigger structure. Then you have a lighter concrete that saves money for constructors, but also adds 
a much better construction quality because it has better insulation capacity, requiring less air conditioning and heating afterwards. Um, also, sound insulation, um, it's a uh, better construction quality. And, and finally, the application is easier and faster, so it also generates other savings for, for construction companies. So what we are trying to do is not only uh, target our products to people that is really interested about environment and, uh, and about sustainability and about recycling, but to the full industry by making a product that is very good, in, like it's very cost competitive, uh, price competitive, and also it's a greener product. That's how we uh, generate a, a massive market. Well, new products take take time. The good thing is that, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, people is more and more aware about the need to to use greener products and to and to stop uh, like impacting the the environment or reducing their carbon footprint. So it's uh, easier now for for greener products to to get into the market. So that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, it's 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 interesting that the use that they've found for plastic that otherwise would have been discarded has a bunch of add-on benefits too. Like if um, it's lighter and a better insulator than concrete and steel, its usage in buildings could have carbon impacts, like uh, encouraging or enabling a building to use less energy, thereby reducing its carbon emissions, or even transporting it to different places where it's needed as a lighter material than concrete and steel. Uh, perhaps there's some additional benefits there from uh, beyond using a material that otherwise would have been discarded. Yeah. So there are transportation savings. Um, for example, one the third industry, so we, I mentioned light concrete for construction, uh, gardening and landscaping, and the third big market is precast. So concrete precast elements, like the ones we see in the, in the public space, like benches, the slabs for the bus stops, that kind of thing, that, that are also made of concrete. You can use our gravel as a, as a light aggregate for that, and you can reduce the weight in half. So if, if you have a, a, a piece of, or a, an element that weighs half the, that has half the weight, then you will be, you will be able to transport twice the amount on the same truck. So that's, that's a, a reduction in, in transportation costs, definitely. And and regarding the like the commercialization, we are aiming to local production. So we, we want to do pure circular economy, take the waste from a city, turn it into a product, and then have the, the city use that product in, uh, locally. So you avoid transportation costs and also the, the pollution associated to transportation. It's easier and it's uh, more efficient to open different facilities or different plants in different areas than having to or needing to transport the gravel and the plastic waste from one point to the other the circular economy yes that's definitely something where that's popping up more and more on the radar definitely um certainly there are efficiencies with uh local sources of material um processing it locally using it again locally as well so that's kind of cool yeah, that's really interesting. So let's hear a little bit more about their business model. 
So what we do is we have a, a very particular business model because uh, we we don't buy our feedstock, but we we charge for our feedstock. This means that we we uh, we go to a, a waste management company or a municipality or a, or a big plastic waste generator. It could be private, and we tell them you are already paying to landfill these products. Well, we can give you a recycling certificate. We can we can take these products. We can find a solution for that that will help you. Um, get better sustainability metrics and and we'll solve the problem for you so at this point what we are doing is we are uh, charging a, a similar uh, amount to a to a landfill tipping fee to to take those plastics away and that is what allows us to sell the gravel also at a competitive price it's like uh, these big generators are subsidizing the price for for a product that if we want it to be massively used, we don't we we need to have a competitive price on it. So it seems like the key to scaling this type of recycling model is really about creating a cost competitive project product, which um, definitely gets back to the economic side of things. If something is more costly to do, um, maybe people think about doing something different, or if it's cheap to do it, people will continue to do it. Yes, totally. I I also asked Sebastian about what policy changes. Um, needed to happen in order to fully commercialize the solution. Um, it's really about properly valuing the externalities of plastic waste. Landfills need to be, need to be much more expensive. You can't charge like forty dollars for a ton of plastics going into the environment. That's too cheap. So that makes it impossible to new industries like ours and many other projects and startups. To, to be able to compete in price with a landfill. So we have designed a price competitive technology, but it's, it has been very difficult to get there. So the first thing is that we need to uh, face and uh, we need to, to, to realize that we, we can't just throw things away for $40 a ton. A ton of plastics is a lot of, plas- of plastics. So I think that, that Assuming the the the, um, the real impact on those on that waste uh, more now that we have or, or that we can see solutions for that because if 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 I don't know maybe ten years ago there were no solutions for this and the only way was landfilling but now that they're coming they have new solutions coming every day um, having a, a a reasonable price for polluting let's say because we are just putting all those plastics in the backyard uh, has to to have a, a real cost. If, if you have a, a real cost for that, then people, municipalities, waste generators, they will all start to take care and, and try to reduce their waste to avoid paying more. It's a simple, simple math. So, so we're back talking about waste and recycling and associated concepts. Um, Elhu, you, you sent me something really recently in the news um, about something that you read about uh, Australia in particular. Yeah, yeah, that uh, Australia, there's a big push in Australia now to ban the export of plastic waste, um, which I thought was a really interesting approach and a new way of thinking about, you know, a year ago, China instituted this ban on receiving a lot of the world's plastic waste. 
they had been a dumping ground previously of a lot of plastic waste that couldn't be recycled domestically or they would pay more for it. So a lot of recycling centers shut down in the US. Um, and the same was the case in Australia. So Australia, the lawmakers there are now moving toward um, banning export of plastic waste in order to spark an industry again internally about how to use more of the plastic waste that the country generates. Um, so I thought it was a really interesting approach and it sort of touched on another angle toward how to deal with waste. You have to, you have to make a market for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that reminds me of a conversation that I just had with a friend of mine, Amir Jandali. So let's, uh, let's hear what he said about what he's doing to kind of participate in the circular economy and make use of all the waste that we're generating and uh, prevent generating more. That's great. Hey everybody, um, I'm here at the Center for Social Innovation. Um, I'm with my friend Amir Jandali, mm-hmm. um, and he is the founder of Future Meets Present. Yes. Amir, can you tell us about what Future Meets Present does? Yes. Future Meets Present is first and foremost a vision. It's just everything we do is based on this vision that a sustainable future, and we all have our versions of that, but a sustainable future is not somewhere off in time and space, but is actually expressing itself in the present. And what I like to refer, the easiest ways I like to talk about that is uh, rooftop gardens, solar panels, and electric cars. Those are just kind of like the key indicators for me. Mm -hmm. And then you can fill in the minutia. But yeah, I see that a a future in which that's normal, Mm -hmm. I see that in my mind's eye. Maybe do you? Oh, absolutely. Perhaps. Absolutely. You, for you, listener as well, whatever you see in your mind's eye, I'm sure it's wonderful. And we like to imagine that that future isn't just somewhere far off in time and space, but space, but it's happening now in spurts. And I think looking at it that way is just exciting to me. Um, and as a company, based on that vision, we use design to facilitate the emergence of that vision. Mm-hmm. So social design is what we say. Mm-hmm. Um, designing products, systems, and events. Right that all bring that vision to life. Absolutely. So what, yeah. are, what are you working on designing right now at the moment? Now, three projects happening in parallel mm-hmm. simultaneously. The first one is kind of my first baby and we're most excited about it. Gita's wearing it right now actually around her right wrist. Mm-hmm. And for the listener, what I want you to imagine, imagine the skinny part of a tie. Imagine cutting that off from the wide part of the tie. And imagine wrapping that around your wrist maybe a bandana. Imagine mm-hmm. wrapping a bandana around your wrist. You open it and then there's an opening at the end of the bandana and you can pull out a shopping bag. Amazing. So it's a tote bag that can be worn as a bracelet, also as a headband, also around your neck. So we're working with this new concept of designing a tote band. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have plenty of tote bags out there, but we're creating the world's first tote band. Mm-hmm and that's the first baby. Yeah. It's made out of 100% recycled and repurposed materials, and it's gonna be on the market very soon. And you're calling it? Tote band. Tote band. Yes. I love it. It used to be called a bracelet tote, uh-huh. but it's, it's lar- larger now and you can wrap it around your head, Yeah. so it's more than a bracelet. Yeah. It's kind of evolved in real time. You know? And that's, I think, just one of the magical parts of the entrepreneurial process. Uh-huh. It's not always gonna be exactly what you think it is at the beginning. Yeah. Which is cool. Which is super cool. So, tote band, mm-hmm. what kind of niche do you, do you feel like this product fills in the marketplace? The niche, 
Well, first, so, okay, so this is kind of cool. I've been working on this for about five years. Mm -hmm. When I started, it was a bracelet tote, super uh -huh. cool. And I designed it because I always wear bracelets yep. and I use them as a form of self-expression. Yep. And I was working within that frame to what are the different bracelets I can create. So ones that are more designed for bikers with reflectors on them. One are more designed for like runners. Maybe some are more heavy duty for hikers or whatever. Mm -hmm. These are just the applications I was thinking about. Yep. But now, I don't know if you've noticed, have you seen all the people wearing bandanas around their head? Like it's super happening I've right now. I've seen it, I've seen it. I've, I've done that before. I've got friends who put bandanas on their dogs. Perfect. It's super happening. Yeah. So I would, oh, even a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to answer your question in this way mm -hmm. that I think it's filling the niche of um, functional fashion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This sort of crossover between self-expression and utilitarian uh, fashion. Yeah. So the people that we're talking to, that we're working with, the people that we're serving, is what I like to say, are those that are frustrated when they forget their tote bag. Yeah. The ones that don't need education. Mm -hmm. The ones that are like, this is already a part of my life, but I want a new way to carry my tote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what we're working with. Yeah. To start. And then we expand to whatever the user, the market demands. Right. I, I really love how this is more than just functional or utilitarian. It's, it's self-expression, um, something beyond what the sustainability um, and efficiency industry has typically been oriented towards, which is this, let's have the product do the thing. Mm -hmm. But now it's, let's have the product do the thing, but also be something that people want to use. Yes, so. exactly. And I think that's something that's been missing with, there's, there's so many tote bags out there. Mm -hmm. um, there's no shortage of tote bags. Yeah. Bags. No shortage of tote bags. We all have them. Right. But I think what's missing is an emotional connection mm -hmm. with your tote bag. It can easily be something that you forget, yep. but if it's something that you think looks cool and you want to wear it anyway, mm -hmm. then you're Gucci. Yeah, you're Gucci, you're that's Gucci. right. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's a, a really great niche to fill in the mm -hmm. market. Um, what do you see as the barriers to adoption for this particular product? Um, well, let's start with the barriers in creating it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's difficult when you're starting to work with a values-based business, mm -hmm. being true to, the, to those values as much as you can mm -hmm. a whole, along, along the whole supply chain. Um, I could have easily launched this thing two years ago if I just found nylon in the garment district, right. whatever, but I've been wanting to use recycled nylon, fabric scraps, and so, et cetera. So finding the resources for that has proven challenging. The second thing is barrier to adoption, I think, um, It needs to, in addition to looking super cool, mm -hmm. it's got to service the needs. It's got to be large enough. It's got to be strong enough. It mm -hmm. has to be comfortable around your hands. Some of my earlier prototypes, the handlebars were a little bit, bit little on the thinner side. And so when you carry like two gallons of milk, it would kind of start like, like freaking cutting your fingers. Like, yeah. It was, so making sure it's super comfortable, super functional, mm -hmm. and very seamless. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to pull the sheath, bag goes in, Again, like I said, told you earlier today, that's a little bit of the Steve Jobs in me, making sure that it's seamless. Yeah. Um, and as long as I, as long as those things are in check, yeah, we've seen that our users love everything about it, except for, for example, the bag size. Mm -hmm. So we made the bag larger. Right. Um, it used to be er, super uh, cumbersome to put around your wrist, mm -hmm. but now it's super easy. You just tie and tuck it. Yeah. So we've checked all the boxes. So as long as everything stays checked and we keep improving based on the user's needs, 
I think we should be good. Absolutely. Um, so it seems like, you know, because you're not sourcing materials that are freshly created, you're mm -hmm. reusing materials. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like the manufacturing process for this is extremely sustainable. So you're taking things that would have otherwise been wasted. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like it's, it's kind of part of that circular economy concept that we keep hearing about. Exactly. It super is. And that also ties into the first thing we spoke about, which is what is our vision of the future. Mm -hmm. And now we're alluding to this amazing future where all things maintain circularity. Mm -hmm. So we have to start at the, the most we can at yeah. this point. Yeah. I wish I had right now, uh, well, we're not in business yet, but I wish I had a proper take back model in mm -hmm. place. Like we will have a take back model in place. Mm -hmm. When you buy our product, you're also going to get um, our office address. Mm -hmm. So if it ever rips or tears or anything, you send it back. Yeah. We'll send you a new one. Yeah still working that out mm -hmm. but in the future I imagine all these things are being circular right right and so that kind of brings me to my next question which is you know scaling that up I mm. can imagine that you know making sure that everything is circular that that's certainly a challenge for for scaling up how do you envision if, if you can at this moment how this product in particular gets to market and gets that market penetration Good, good questions. Um, we've started with, I'm a big, big fan of scrappy lo-fi prototyping. Mm -hmm. So I take full advantage of pop-up markets. Mm -hmm. One day only things, quick stuff to just get quick user feedback. And yeah. no matter what it is that you're working on, 100% encourage rapid prototyping. Yeah. It's, you know, treat everything as a project that's iterative. Right. So we've done, fortunately, to answer your question, we've done enough pop-up markets at this point to where we've gathered a nice list of retailers that already want to stock it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> Both online and offline. So that's super cool. Um, I got about three or four retailers here in New York that are brick and mortars, two yep. online. Yeah. And we start there. We just start there, we service that, and make sure that that's working nice at a nice slow roast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then um, we, you, you kind of just see where there's life. Absolutely. You see what bloggers are starting to follow, what bloggers are starting to tag, and then you nurture that. Yeah, super cool. And it seems like you can definitely kind of capitalize on, on the social movement to be a responsible environmental citizen. Totally. So that's super cool. And on top of that too, New York is about to ban plastic bags. Yeah. In March next year, Yeah. March of 2020. So we're poised right now to be like, to be right on that wave. Yeah. Um, it couldn't be better timing. Super exciting. And mm -hmm. I just hope that we don't exempt our way out of that and that we actually <laughs> make it, man, yeah. you know, a real thing. So yeah, yeah. Super yeah. cool. Um, so pivoting a little bit, um, tell me about um, the waste project that you're also working on. Cool. So this is a nice, yes, this is a perfect segue into the way I'm learning that social change works. Mm -hmm. Because every time I show this to someone, this has been the longest project I've been working on, it's about five years, like I said. So every time I show it to someone, it's either two answers, two responses. Mm -hmm. Either, oh, that's super cool, I can't wait to get one. Or, how are you gonna get everyone to wear it? Yeah. Not everyone's gonna wear it, I would never wear it, whatever. Fine, totally cool, because social change works from the bottom up and top down. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a product design, product innovation, and systems innovation. Right. So to your question, um, for the listener, we're here in the Center for Social Innovation, which is on the third floor of the Star at Lehigh Building in West uh, Chelsea, New York. We're in this co-working space with about 200 active members a day. And 
you wanted to go throw something away a few months ago, mm -hmm. you would have encountered a two bin system. Mm -hmm. You would have had this box that you open the lid and then on the left you have your recycling bin, on the right you have your trash can. Mm -hmm. There is signage, there is communication about what's supposed to go in each one, but understandably people are busy and they just toss w things wherever things whatever and there's a lot of cross-contamination. Right. Now if you were to come into our space you would see a nice 15 foot wide wall with actual with five bins and the actual trash taped on the wall above the bin. Mm -hmm. Very clearly indicating what's supposed to go where. And this project we're calling Ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So this is a systemic approach to what is the making the default the correct thing, like making you work less to figure out what's supposed to go where. Yeah. And this is a small microcosm of what we could eventually scale to, scale to the whole building. Right. And citywide too. And citywide, 100%. Yeah. Waste mm -hmm. diversion rates here are not where they should be. Not where they so, should be. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's super cool. Um, so kind of taking another step back too, um, what, what kind of support would you need mm. to, to kind of really see these projects through from private industry say, or mm. from city government or um, other regulatory bodies? Like what, what's gonna make, make these things, you know, uh, the change comes from both bottom up and top down. Yes. Um, and certainly part of that is the regulatory environment, policy making, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but also investment and mm -hmm. um, private industry, given that we live in a capitalist society, so. Totally, super good questions, and I'm learning the effects of that in real time, actually. I think, as a designer, what would be great for me to have access to is, and I know New York City has um, the Open Data Project. Mm -hmm. I think that is the responsibility of private private entities, just p providing the data, making it easy, making it workable. People are at different scopes of influence. Right, absolutely. The city has different set data sets at their disposal than, than designers do. Making that accessible and saying like, okay, this is the city's status, this is what we're working with, these are our goals. Mm -hmm. Setting those goals and targets and giving the information that people on the ground can work with is super important. Yeah. I don't know exactly what the city's diversion rate is right now. I guess we're sitting um, Q3 of 2019. I think the city's diversion rate is like 20% or something. Yeah. It's lower I'm, than 30%. I'm not sure. Yeah, definitely lower than 30%. I would be surprised if it was higher than, than 30%. Yeah. So. I do know that if, for example, the city-wide organics collection program was in full speed, mm -hmm. and if the entire city of New York was participating in the compost collection, mm -hmm the diversion rate would go up like 20% or something yeah. crazy like that. I mean, Absolutely. please don't quote me, but something like that. But providing that information and making it super accessible mm -hmm. would be a wonderful lubricant yeah. <laughs> for us to do our jobs. Right. Yeah, and I guess ultimately, and uh, we see this in the energy industry too, like if you can't mm. measure something, you can't control it. Yep. So you've got to measure it first. Mm -hmm. Yes. Put that data out there, figure out what's going on, and then do something about it. Totally. So, um, so and then, actually, I want to add one more thing, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think, because this might be something we're going to touch on a bit, like what people can do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> okay, one, so I'm a big fan of gateway drugs Yeah. in the world of sustainability. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> I started with reusable bags, yep. and now I'm aware of plant-based meats. Now I'm aware of um, offset credit offsetting, I mean carbon offsetting, uh -huh. all these things that I wasn't aware of before. Right. So you start with one thing, and it opens up this new world. Absolutely. 
to, for people that are trying to take active steps in their lives, uh-huh. bringing your own cup, bringing your own bottle, bringing your own bag and this kind of stuff, you're, you run into issues, for example, at coffee shops, mm-hmm. being reluctant to take your cups. Mm-hmm. I think this kind of segues this topic with the previous conversation of what private entities can do too. Make it super easy for people to do what they need to do. Yeah. Make sure that the coffee shops know about whatever articles it were that passed that allows people to bring their own cups. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I still go to the coffee shop sometimes and get resistance. Yeah, it's wild. Like I get if my coffee cup looks super gross, but if it's clean and it's fine and it looks good, yeah. please take it and refill my cup. I'm trying to contribute to the solution. Absolutely. I would love it if that was made easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people just do kind of what's easy to do. People don't necessarily want to have to make conscious decisions all the time. So let's design our infrastructure, let's design our world so that the easiest thing to do is the best thing to do for the planet. Totally, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so Amir, really yes. wonderful, wonderful speaking yes. to you. Um, this was super cool. Thank you for showing me around the oh, yes. Center for Social Innovation. This is a very cool place. So anyone who's around West Chelsea um, and is interested in these type of things, I would encourage you to stop by. Yes, please come by. Please ask for me. Um, I like to say my name is the first four letters of America. AMER, so you don't forget. That's true. Come by CSI, ask me. It, literally, if anybody from this thing comes by and asks for me, I'm going to flip. <laughs> I'm going to freaking flip. That'd be amazing. I'll show you our rooftop gardens. I'll give you some of the carrots that I grew on the rooftop. It'll be awesome. Amazing. <laughs> what a treat. Cool. Amir, Great. thank you so much. Thank you, Gita. Yes. All right. So that's a wrap. Join us for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can check out our show notes. We'll link, have links to uh, several of the articles that we mentioned and, and resources. Thanks and for listening. Hope you can join us next time. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast was made possible by Zonditz. For more clean energy news, check out Zonditz.com. Z-O-N-D-I-T-S dot com. We received help from our friends at ERS, and our music was written and performed by Isaac Weinstein.